we are living in some dark times. And even though often it, the, the book of Revelation is used as an instrument of fear, it actually has a prophetic word for the church today, a, a word that the church desperately needs to hear. I'm Pastor Jason Barnett, and this is the Dirt Pastor Run Podcast. If you have a Bible, turn with me to the book of Revelation, Revelation chapter 1. I don't know about you, but this has not been a good week. It has not. Um, all you had to do was turn on the news for five seconds and, and your heart broke. Am I right? And if you thought that was bad enough. Reports come out about people who play positions of trust within the church doing things that they shouldn't be doing. And then just, mm, it just completely rips your heart out. It crushes you. And if that, you know, and that's that, all that, that's on top of living in a time in a world where gas prices keep going up, morality keeps dropping. Some of us were probably wondering, man, how am I even going to pay for food this week? I don't, I don't know. I have, to, I have to decide between paying for food or paying for gas to get to work. And these are dark days. But did you know there's a book in the Bible that was written specifically to the church during a dark time? And that's the book of Revelation. So many times when we say the book of Revelation, we focus on the fear, we focus on how things are all going to play out, but that's not why it was written. Revelation was given to John while he was stranded alone on an island to die. And God came to him with this message of hope in the midst of the darkness. So today we're going to be looking at this message of hope and, and, and seeing how it, how it relates to us in our day and time. It's Revelation chapter 1, and I'm going to read verses 9 through 20. It says, I, John, your brother and partner in the affliction, kingdom and endurance that are in Jesus, was on the island called Patmos because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. And I was in the spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard a loud voice behind me like a trumpet saying, write on a scroll what you see. And send it to the seven churches, Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. Then I turned to see whose voice it was that spoke to me. When I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And among the lampstands was one like the Son of Man, dressed in a robe and with a golden sash wrapped around his chest. The hair of his head was white as wool white as snow and his eyes like a fiery flame his feet were like fine bronze as it's fire as it is fired in a furnace and his voice like the sound of cascading waters he had seven stars in his right hand 
A sharp devil-edged sword came from his mouth, and his face was shining like the sun at full strength. When I saw him, I fell at his feet like a dead man. He laid his right hand on me and said, Don't be afraid. I am the first and the last, and the living one. I was dead, but look, I am alive forever and ever, and I hold the keys of death and Hades. Therefore, write what you have seen, what is, and what will take place after this. The mystery of the seventy stars you saw on my right hand, and of the seven golden lampstands. The mystery is this. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches. And the seven lampstands are the seven churches. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Like I said, this was written to the church during a time of intense persecution. There's some debate on to who the Roman emperor was at this time. It was either Domitian or Nero, and neither one of them were good. Nero decided he wanted a bigger palace, so he burned down half the village and then blamed it on the Christians. Domitian, he was just not a good guy. But you see what, what this meant, though, this time of persecution, if you were baptized in the name of Jesus, it was, it was a sure mark that you were going to be killed for your faith. To, to worship Jesus was going to put you in opposition with the culture around you who worshiped Caesar. And at this point, I'm not sure how many of the apostles are left, but there's not many. John's one of the few. And John has been captured. He's been taken to this, this prison colony where there's nothing there, and the Romans just dumping there and leaving for dead. Now, if you're a pastor, if there's one, and if you're someone who's answered a call to ministry, there's one thing that you live and breathe for every day of your life. That is to wake up and serve Jesus by serving those around you. And this pastor who has given his life to that, who was commissioned by Jesus to go and do that, is now left on this island to die with no contact from his churches, no word of how they're doing. He can't even intercede in prayer for the request on their behalf because he doesn't know what they are. That's a dark moment. That's a dark time in his life. But John doesn't sit there in a self-pity party. He knows it's the Lord's day. Because you see the Christians, you know, the actual Sabbath, you know, from the Ten Commandments where it says, keep, remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. For the Jews, that was Saturday. But when Jesus, didn't, Jesus was dead in the tomb on Saturday, right? But what did day did Jesus rise again on? Sunday. He rose again on a Sunday. He came back to life on a Sunday. So the early church, they thought, we're not going to worship on a day where our Savior's dead. We're going to worship on the day when he was, rose again. We're going to celebrate each and every time we gather that the fact that our Lord is risen and he is risen indeed. So that's where the, when the church gathered. And John knew it was the Lord's day. So this day he gets up just like he would worship any other day, just as he would gather with the church any other time. But this time he's by himself. He gets up and, and it's in that moment that he's caught up in the spirit. There's a lot of debate on what this passage means, but 
But all we know for sure is John had a, an experience with the Holy Spirit. And, th and then what is recorded and what we read today is that experience that he has. Alone, deserted on this island, this is what happens to him. Alone, deserted on this island, he still gathers in the spirit of the Lord on the Lord's day to worship. And this is what happens. It tells us in verse, in verse 12, Then I turn to see whose voice it was. He hears a loud voice, and when he turns and sees, it describes who he sees standing there with him. Do you hear what I'm saying? He's, he was left stranded to die on this island by himself in the hopelessness of the situation. But who was right there with him? This voice. It says, And he was one like the Son of Man. Son of Man is a title that Jesus uses for himself from the book of Daniel. And he uses it over and over again. He's dressed in a robe with a golden sash around his, around his waist. That golden sash, that was the appearance of the high priest. And when Jesus died and rose again, he ascended to the Father's side where he is our high priest. He intercedes with God on our behalf for us. So John's stranded on this island, left to die, hopeless. And in this moment, Jesus comes to John. He's right there with him. It says his, his hair was white as wool, white as snow. His eyes like a fiery flame. That, that his eyes were like fire because that was demonstrating that he was the omnipotent one, that he was God, and he knew what was going on. All the events that was happening in John's life, Jesus knew about. All the events that were happening, that were happening to the churches, Jesus knew about. He knew it all, and he was right there with John. It says his feet were like fine bronze as it is fired in a furnace. That's symbolic telling us that this Jesus who died and rose again, whose hair was white, whose eyes were like fire, his feet were immovable. It was a sign of his, his permanence, his sustainability. It's the God who never grows tired. It's the God who never quits. It's the God who always keeps loving, always keeps going. And that's who appeared to John when he was at his most desperate. Jesus. This Jesus. It tells us that he had a double-edged sword coming from his mouth. And if you go online and you Google pictures of this, you're going to see some really weird stuff. So don't do it. Okay. The sword coming out of Jesus' mouth isn't like, it isn't a battle instrument. Like we would see it. It's not a weapon of human hands. So if, if you, know, you see a depiction of this as Jesus wielding a sword from his mouth and lopping off heads, that's not it. What this is saying is that what's coming out of Jesus' mouth are the words of truth. And when God speaks truth into our lives, it has this ability to cut through all of the facade. It has the ability to cut down to the very core of who we are and hit us right where we're at. And Jesus always comes when he gives us a word like that. It's always the word we need in the moment. Sometimes that word is judgment. Sometimes that word is a challenge. But sometimes when we're broken and devastated, we don't understand what's happening. 
the truth that comes to us is somehow in the midst of all the chaos and all the pain and all the doubt, we have this, this voice of our Savior coming to us, cutting through all the lies, cutting through all the brokenness, and reminding us of who we belong to and who loves us. And that the situation may seem hopeless, but Jesus is standing there right with you. And that's who was right there with John in this moment. As cool as that is, though, this is what Jesus says to John. He, all these other things it talks about. But this is what he says to John in verses 17 through 20. He, you know, John sees Jesus. He's in the presence of God. And he just falls at his feet. He's just like, I, I'm not worthy to be standing here. Keep in mind, this is the same John, John the Apostle, remember who? Who, when they're at the Last Supper with Jesus in person, what does this John do? Does anybody know? What does this John do at the Last Supper? Come on, somebody's got to know. No? When they're at the Last Supper and they get done eating, this, this is the same John that reclines and rests his head against Jesus' chest. That's how close the friendship was between John and Jesus. And in this moment where John is desperate and Jesus shows up because of Jesus' holy appearance, because of the power of the resurrection surging through Jesus in this moment, this John falls down on his face. Because he realizes he's not worthy to be in this situation. But notice what Jesus says to him. What is it that Jesus says? Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. I'm right here with you. Don't be afraid, John. You're not alone. Don't be afraid, John. I haven't forgotten you. Don't be afraid about the unknown, John, because I know it. He says, I am the first and the last. He's saying there's nothing that starts without me and there's nothing that's going to end without me. So don't be afraid. He says, I am the living one. Yes, I died, but that tomb is empty. There's nobody there. I am alive. And I'm, as you can see, I'm standing here with you. No, yeah, Jesus tells John, he says, I am alive forevermore and I hold the keys of death. I hold the keys to life. I hold the keys over sin. I have the keys over all the enemies. I have all authority given to me. There's nothing that happens or that can happen without me. There is nothing final in your life that will happen without my say so. Jesus gets the last word. And that's the Jesus that's standing there with John. And as cool as that is, in verse 9, that's, verse, uh, verse 19 tells us why John writes this book. He writes this book simply because God tells him to. He tells John, write this down. So what does John do? He writes it down. Doesn't sugarcoat it. Doesn't give us a key to understand it. He just writes it down. But here's the beauty of Revelation. Here's, the, to me, the most beautiful verse in all of Scripture. This is what Jesus says. He says, the mystery of the seven stars you saw in my right hand and of the seven golden lampstands is this. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches. And the seven lampstands are the seven churches. You're like, Pastor Jason, what does that even mean? That makes no sense. Why are you so excited? 
Because once you understand what this means, it means there is absolutely nothing that will happen to you. There is no place you will ever be where Jesus won't be with you. Because this is what it means. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches. And what does the word angel mean? It means messenger. And yes, throughout Revelation, when it speaks of angels, it's actually talking of the heavenly beings that are, that are all, all serving as God's messengers between us and him. They're serving as God's workmen on our behalf. But in this case, messenger is referring to the pastors of these seven churches. Jesus is saying, John, those churches that you're worried about in this dark time that you don't know that's happening, look, I've got them in my hand. They're with me. And I am not, not only are they with me, but I'm standing right here with you and you're not alone. It goes on. Jesus telling us in the seven lampstands are the seven churches. And yes, there are seven churches that Jesus is going to give words to in the next several chapters. But what does the number seven mean in scripture? The number seven is a number of completion. So yes, it's talking specifically to these seven churches, but these seven churches represent the church universal, the church complete, the church of God's saints from yesterday to tomorrow and forever. That's who these left stands represent. And what this means is Jesus has the pastors in his hands. He has the churches in his hands. And there is nothing, not a thing that can prevail against them. Because he has the final say because he's in authority over them. Amen. So what does all I have to say to us? Why am I so excited in saying it's a message of hope for us? Well, we live in a world where kids get shot in school, don't we? And we sit there and we look at that and we say, how could, the, how could the world be so cruel? How could it be this way? And I, I'm not giving this to you as a platitude. I'm not giving this to you as, as some secret formula that's going to make all the hurt to go away. It's simply a reminder that in these darkest moments, Jesus is still there and Jesus cares. Amen. He knows each and every name of every student that died this week. He knows the name of each and every, every teacher that died this week. He knows the name of each and every person that was connected with that situation. And you know what Jesus is doing in this moment? He's doing the same thing he did when he got to that tomb and Lazarus was dead. He was weeping with them. And Jesus in that moment knew he was going to bring Lazarus back to life. And he still cried. Why? Because it broke his heart because he cared. Jesus cares, church. He does. You may be having a week of your own. But I want you to know Jesus cares. Jesus cares about his church. Yes, church, we are living in a dark time. I'm not going to pretend it's not different. I'm not going to pretend it's, it's not all sunshine and rainbows, or it is all sunshine and rainbows. But I do know this. This is the same, we serve the same Jesus 
that has the seven stars in his hand. We serve the same Jesus who is, was with his church in this time of deep, dark persecution that was occurring. And if you think for a second that that Jesus who cares about you is going to abandon his church in our day, you are mistaken. Jesus loves us. Jesus has a purpose for us. Jesus' mission for us is still the same. And guess what? He's going to go with us to help us fulfill it. Jesus is right there with us. Because Jesus cares about his churches. And yes, some of the stuff in the news about the church is not good. And yeah, it's going to give us a black eye. Yes, it's going to make it difficult for us to minister. It's going to turn some people off. But I do know this, when revival happens, judgment always begins at the house of the Lord. It always starts with us before revival happens anywhere else. And Jesus is going to help us navigate these times. Jesus is going to reassure us in these times. Jesus is going to be our confidence in these times. So Jesus cares. Jesus cares about his church. And most importantly of all, Jesus cares about you. You specifically. You might be a little kid here today upset because your cat ran away. Well, let me tell you a little story. Back when I was in third grade, I had this pet cat that ran away from home. And I was so distraught about it. Bye notes. It was so distraught about it. And I prayed every day about that cat. And one day I went to church three weeks later and the cat was at the church on the other side of town. Wow. So if you think Jesus doesn't care about your cat problem, you're mistaken. Jesus cares. Tell it to him. Hey, you may have made a mess of your life. You may have made a bunch of bad decisions, but Jesus cares about you saying, hey, -uh. that bad decision you made, it doesn't have the final say over your life. I do. And I care about you and I have a plan for your life. Jesus cares about you no matter where you're at, what you have done. We just have to be willing to put our faith in him and our hope in him. See, why I find this a message of hope, why I find it so pertinent for today, is because John couldn't go to where he wanted to go. He couldn't go gather with God's people and worship with them. He couldn't go and experience the, the presence of God's Holy Spirit and the fellowship of his people worshiping together. But what did Jesus do in this moment? The most Jesus thing ever. When John could not go to where he was, Jesus came to him. Right. That could be a song, you know. Some of you got it. Jesus came to where John was. I know you may be here today and you may be having all kinds of doubts. You may be carrying all kinds of brokenness and hurt. You're saying, Jesus, I don't know that I have the strength to come to you. Once you know that Jesus is looking at you saying, that's okay, I'll come to you. I'll come to you right where you're at.
Our hope has to be in Jesus. And Jesus wants to be our hope. That's where our confidence is in these arrests. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Dirt Pass Sermon Podcast. It was recorded live at the Greensburg Church of Nazarene, located at 31 Bluebird Lane in Greensburg, Kentucky. Our theme song is called The Dirt Path, performed by Jeremy Edwards. If you would like to share a word of testimony with us or what God's been doing in your life, you can reach us at P.O. Box 215, Greensburg, Kentucky, zip code 42743. Or you can also find us at www.gbirdnaz.com on the Greensburg Church and Nazarene Facebook page or the Dirt Path Facebook page.